Today's reading comes from Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 and 17 through 24. Listen for God's word for us. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the people of Israel. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Nagab and go up into the hill country and see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehab, near Lebohamoth. They went up into the Nagab and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Ishkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. This is the Lord's word. Well, let me reiterate uh, the announcement that Tyler made about the Thanksgiving bags um, in connection with Westside Housing. Um, there's something really beautiful that we can do together that we can never do alone. So I'd encourage you to grab one of those bags to jump in on that opportunity. And I wanted to reiterate something else in that if you are a part of this church and you yourself find yourself in need around this Thanksgiving holiday, please don't hesitate to let Tyler or I know. Some of those bags that we're collecting are intentionally for those within our church community that have need. Um, It's a joy to be able to support one another, to walk with one another, And in times of surplus, we're able to come alongside of each other in need. And that's the beauty of the community of faith versus trying to follow Jesus in isolation. Well, if I don't know you or haven't met you and you're new, my name is Gabe Coyle. I'm one of the pastors here. And today is actually a really exciting Sunday. Um, Hopefully every Sunday uh, is exciting around here. But today has some unique um, weight and beauty to it. Um, And here's why. Most of life... Most of life is pretty ordinary, right? It's got its everyday struggles, the everyday highs and lows. Even as we ended our Proverbs series last week, being reminded from the thoughtful words of pastor and theologian Eugene Peterson, most of life for the Christian could be described as a long obedience in the same direction. That's most of life. But then there are these moments These out-of-the-ordinary moments where God does something really big. These moments where God, he kind of introduces an anticipated change with this moment of unforeseen decision, or he even brings an unexpected opportunity, brings something that really changes everything else. And it's in these kinds of moments, these out-of-the-ordinary moments, something unique is required of us. And these extraordinary moments, we're required to have what's called bold faith. Bold faith kind of calls us to a new level of trust, even though 
you may not know all of the information. Bold faith says, hey, <laughs> there's an, a really great change coming this way, even though you, you may have felt comfortable exactly where you were. And these moments, they don't happen every day. Really, they don't happen every year. But if you look across the story of God's people, across the pages of Scripture, the story of God's people are rife with these big, audacious moments. These moments that when they come, they actually shape the trajectory of the rest of our lives. When they come, they actually shape the lives of those who come after them. And I'd be so bold as to tell you that such a a moment is upon us as a church. Now, as many of you know, and if you're new, you may not have known, but now you'll find out today, uh, that we have been searching for a, a, a space, a, a new downtown campus home uh, for quite a while, for a little over a year. And this has been a longer journey even outside of that before we landed here. A space, um, as you experienced when you walked in, a space where we'd actually have seats for visitors, uh, so you don't have to kind of figure out, hey, can you move? Can you? Um, I'll stand against the wall, like we have some folks today, actually. Um, you know, we're sitting back near the coffee. Well, maybe that was strategically in. Um, <laughs> But, you know, some space for new folks to join us. Uh, a space enough for, for our children who are actually in a different building <laughs> right now to be in the same building with us. And maybe, maybe even more importantly, it's more space to, to, to be engaging our community in these brilliant initiatives uh, more available um, to us if we just have more space to do so. And we've held some town halls to, to make sure we're in this together. This isn't some group that goes off into a dark corner and figures it out and then comes back and share. No, but that we're in this together, trying to figure out, okay, what is God calling us to together? It's, it's been, we even kind of then called a smaller team to start assessing the different opportunities and the obstacles. And I know so many of you, as, as I have been, as Tyler has been, as, as the leaders here have been, been praying our hearts out for God to, to open the doors, to give us wisdom, and to help us figure out what that next step is. Well, today, I'm ecstatic to say that we, after extensively assessing our mission and our priorities, because a, a building is a facility. It facilitates the mission cross generations, as well as considering the, the many opportunities that continue to dwindle downtown as it continues to develop, and the obstacles um, throughout the downtown area, We as a pastoral staff across campuses with the affirmation of the elder leadership team believe that we have found that facility that meets our needs here in the Crossroads neighborhood. Now, yeah, right? Um, (laughs) Now, I say that with a lot of excitement. Like, I was just jittery, like with emotion, just getting ready to, to say that. But with also a lot of caution. Um, because we're very early in conversations, very early. Um, and if you've ever tried to buy a house or a condo or done anything in real estate, you understand how fickle these things can be. Um, and so I say that with a ton of excitement, but also a lot of caution, um, that we need a lot of things to continue to fall into place. But we're really excited about the possibility that lies before us. Now, that's part of the story. The other part of the story is, at the same time, Christ community has been looking for a long time, for about four years, for a long-term home for our Shawnee Mission campus. And I'm also excited to say that we believe we found that space as well um, in Shawnee. So it's super, super exciting. Now, we didn't plan for both of these spaces to show up at the same time. (laughs) 
this is kind of a logistical nightmare to some degree. Um, <laughs> and moving forward with two locations isn't going to be easy. We don't have answers to all the questions yet. We're still doing a lot of digging. Um, and when everybody hears this across all five campuses today, which they are, I, I know there's going to be a lot of questions that, that come. But here's the one thing we do know. We know this is going to demand a lot of each and every one of us. And it's going to stretch every single one of us beyond our comfort zones. And really, if you've been in, in a journey of faith for a while, or depending on your own faith journey, you know that sometimes faith can feel crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, sometimes faith feels like you're stepping in uncharted territory. And whenever God works in these unprecedented or at least extraordinary ways and gives us unprecedented opportunities and challenges, what we hear is an invitation to deeper intimacy with him. And that's what makes us most excited. Because at the heart of all this is we want to know our great God even deeper. God, more than anything, more than accomplishing great things, is he wants to make a people more like his son Jesus for our good and his glory. And so we hear this invitation individually, collectively, to some bold faith, to join him on his mission, which has never been an invitation to comfort. And if you've been in faith, or you've been walking in faith, or you've been in this Christian journey, then you know that faith is absolutely essential. And it's caused me to remember, okay, what is faith? And I go back to Hebrews 11, verse 1, where we remember that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's trusting God and his promises at all costs. It's trusting that God's working even when we don't see everything that we want to see. That is, that's broadly the journey of faith. Or I love even better the way Philip Yancey, one particular author, when he's perusing the pages of scripture, it says that faith is trusting in advance so it only makes sense in reverse. It's trusting in advance but only makes sense in reverse. Now, most of faith is that ordinary incremental, which is bold in and of itself, faith. And it's crucial. But then there are these big moments that really do shape the trajectory and the opportunities that lie ahead such that if God doesn't show up, we could lose everything, <laughs> right? And so that venturing beyond our comfort zones to a new degree is what we call bold faith. Now, the question probably then pops to your mind, well, how are we going to do this? Like, how, how do we step out in bold faith? How do we do in advance what may only make sense in reverse? How do we have the courage and the confidence to do what we need to do? How do we be the people we're called to be while simultaneously not being presumptuous and rash, right? Because nobody wants to be an idiot, um, I, I think. Um, we don't want to be idiots here, we, but, we, but we do want to do something that God's calling us, we think, calling us to do, which feels really scary, really big. So how do we do this? Well, over the next three weeks, we had some other plans, but when these opportunities came, we thought appropriate to pivot. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to examine... One of the greatest examples of bold faith in Scripture. And this was a moment when everything was on the line for God's people. This was a moment when the people of God were called by him to risk everything in order to obey him. And it has a surprising twist in the midst of it as well. So would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. I, I want to set the scene for you. Numbers 13 is a particular point in the history of God's people. God's already brought Israel 
through this extraordinary means of deliverance from Egypt and the oppression that we see in Egypt. God had already promised Moses that he's going to give them the land that he had promised their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The first chapters of Numbers are really God's people at Mount Sinai being prepared for this promise. God had purpose to bring about freedom from oppression and to bring justice to a broken world through this little burgeoning nation. And it was all about to unfold. So here they are, right there in Kadesh Barnea, okay? They're on the edge of everything that God's been promising for generations, a place to call their own, a home, a land for generations to come because property, land has always been important to God and his purposes in the world. And we read this, look with me, Numbers chapter 13, verses one through two, we read, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. Now, when you read those questions and you realize where we are in the, the point of the story, a question should naturally pop in your mind. If God's already brought them out of Egypt, he's already promised them the land, why would God tell Moses to send spies in to scout out the land? He's already made this promise He's already demonstrated that he can do things way beyond their fabric and their framework of understanding, parting the Red Sea, bringing them out of oppression without them shedding one ounce of blood, and now bringing them to Mount Sinai and then to the very edge of the promised land. Why, why does God have these guys go on a reconnaissance mission? What is he hoping for them to see? What does God want his people to see? Now, if you jump over to Deuteronomy 1, we need to get the context of this. You actually get a broader context where the people are the ones who are saying, hey, we want to go check out the land because we still have some questions about this land before we go. So that's Deuteronomy 1. But here in Numbers 13, God is clearly the catalyst for sending these spies into the land. He's the one who's initiated this. So why? Why does God want them to go in? What does he want them to see? Now, we can naturally... Think that the sole purpose was to explore the physical and socio-political uh, geography of the land, meaning what the land is like and what the people are like. I should have probably led with that. This makes sense of what we read in verse 18. See what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. So part of the picture is, yes, do due diligence, right? Go and check it out. Um, explore the facts. And, and I want to be very clear. When we're standing on the cusp of something that, that God might be calling us to, Scripture is very adamant in articulating that bold faith is not blind. Bold faith isn't somehow closing your eyes, seeing the deep, dark ravine, and then just stepping in. Um, that's not how faith is described in Scripture, and definitely not how bold faith is described. Bold faith, as we see right here, is described as trusting God with your eyes wide open. It's being aware of the brutal facts and trusting Him anyway. It's, it's, it's walking into situations that sometimes don't make sense by even our natural sight. But bold faith is not blind faith. 
That's kind of just the initial, but I think that's just the, the tip and the beginning of what we're meant to see here. There's more going on. And the primary reason God is inviting his people to scout at the land, I think, has everything to do with where he tells them to go. Because God's very specific on where he tells them to go. You'll notice in verse 17, we see the scouts are to go to the hill country. The hill country. Now, if the goal is to be aware of what is available, what kind of land there is, what kind of produce that this land can produce, then you would go to the lush valleys. This is where the great agricultural aspects of the land are. This is where you could see great promise of the beauty of the land. But instead, God has them go to the rocky hill country, which is really fascinating. And here's why this is so important. You see, God doesn't want them to just be aware of how beautiful the land is. He doesn't want them to just be aware of what kind of people are there so that they can be aware of the brutal facts and what they're facing. God wants them to remember their faith topography. He wants them to remember where their ancestors have walked before and how God has worked before. See, bold faith is not blind. Bold faith is a new way, a different way, a better way of seeing the present. Another way to talk about it is bold faith sees today's obstacles in light of God's previous work. That's bold faith. This is the secret to bold faith. This is how we step out in bold faith. Our faith is emboldened when we remember what God has done in the past. And by remembering and trusting that God really did do that in history, we bolster our confidence, our courage to trust him in the present, to take care of us in the future. Where do we see this on display? It's not only just in the hill country, but he invites the spies to scout at the land, specifically retracing the footsteps of faith, the footsteps of the patriarchs when they mention the city Hebron in verse 22. Hebron is a kind of epicenter of faith. If you were to immerse yourself in, in, in the story of Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Hebron is a really, really important city. This is like a buzzword. When, when the people of God would have heard Hebron, they would have thought of so many stories. Over and over again, Hebron was a place where the patriarchs put down roots, and it was a foretaste of the promise. Let me give us a quick rundown just in Genesis alone. In Genesis 13, there in Hebron, God makes afresh the promise to Abraham that this will be his offspring's land. There in Hebron. And out of faith, Abraham makes an altar to worship his God in response to that promise. Genesis 13. In Genesis 23, Abraham purchases land in Hebron because... Sarah passes away, and he buries Sarah there in Hebron. In Genesis 25, Abraham dies, and he's buried in Hebron. In Genesis 35, we see that this is where Isaac spent most of his life, and also when he dies, he's buried in Hebron. When you get to Genesis 37, Jacob sends Joseph out from Hebron from Hebron to go check on his brothers. Do you remember that? What are you guys doing? And then they capture him, throw him in a pit. Well, he's in Hebron, meaning that Jacob is spending most of his days in Hebron. In Genesis 49, Jacob tells that his last wish would be to die and to be buried in Hebron. In Genesis 50, Joseph honors his father's last wish and brings him back to Hebron. Hebron is a place of promise. It's a place of history, a place 
were those who had previously followed God by faith, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where they were laid to rest. But more than just a family burial plot, it was the faith topography of God's work in the past, and he wanted this generation to remember before they embarked in a new journey of bold faith. None of these words are here by accident. God never commands his people to do things happenstance. It's very intentional, the location, as to why he sends his people where he sends them in this reconnaissance mission. Bold faith remembers. The Israelite spies, they'd, they'd heard these stories. This is an oral culture. They passed down the stories of what God had done in the past again and again and again, but they'd never walked in the footsteps of their ancestors. They'd never remembered like this. And when God's people, when they find themselves, we can learn a lesson here. When God's people find themselves on the cusp of a bold faith mo- movement and moment, the answer isn't to close our eyes and to step out blindly. The answer is to look back and to remember. Bold faith requires that we remember the story that we're a part of, especially when the stakes seem unspeakably high or the cost out of range or the challenge too big. Bold faith sees today's obstacles in light of God's previous work so that we're reminded that, yes, it may seem audacious, but God has done even bigger things before. Before they were ever to step out, they needed to remember, and I think the same is true of us today. Now, to be clear, when we have been perusing the different options, we've tried to do due diligence to face the brutal facts of both the brilliant opportunities and the great obstacles that lie ahead in in these different options, whether it be downtown or in Shawnee Mission. Bold faith isn't blind faith. But before we step out, we need to remember our faith topography and what God has not only done in his big story, but even in the story of Christ's community over these past 30 years. It's been a pretty astounding history in our little church of what God has done at this moment in history that as I think, as we recount um, some of these stories, I hope that they embolden us today. So I want us to remember, earlier this week, I had the opportunity to be with staff from all of our campuses. Um, We gathered together on Tuesday, and Tom, one of the senior pastors, uh, the man that God used to plant this church and to begin this work, started telling us some of these stories of the past. Someone I look up to dearly, a mentor of mine and my boss, um, so that's important. Um, and so I want to share some of the stories he shared. Some of the stories are, are stories before me, which is really fun and exciting. Um, thankfully, not before I was born, so that was good to hear. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I want to share some of those stories that I hope will embolden us and are going to be shared across our campuses today to embolden us together in unity in this mission for Kansas City, for God's glory through his church. Well, at the beginning of Christ's community's uh, story back in 1988, Tom and Liz, they left Dallas, Texas. And as they were leaving to plant a fellowship you know, of believers here in Kansas City, One gentleman by the name of G. Underwood III, a real estate entrepreneur, he stepped out in bold faith. He heard about the story of this little church plant starting in Kansas City, and he gave um, Christ Community $5,000 to jumpstart this mission, which was a lot of money in the 80s. Still a lot of money today, as I think about my own bank account, but a lot of money, especially in the 80s. Here's the check. We've got, I think, a picture of it, which I did scrub the account number and routing number. 
thanks to some thoughtful accountants, thank you, uh, saying that might not be good to put that out there, um, just for anybody who's a little more devious in nature this morning, who knows. But here's, here's the words. It's really difficult to make them out at the bottom there, um, but I love the words of G. Underwood III. He says, I hope this gift gives you a little push. And as Tom was telling this story, he just had tears welling up in his eyes and coming down his cheeks as he said, for him it may have felt like a little push, but for us it felt like he'd moved mountains. Because that was the kind of money we needed to start. That was the kind of money that sustained us in this entrepreneurial venture from the beginning. It was that kind of bold faith that made those first steps even possible. There's a lot of stories here, and um, but I'm just going to give you a couple highlights because we don't have all the time in the morning and there is another service coming. In 1998, after purchasing some 10 acres in Leewood, Christ Community was on the cusp of their first facility in Leewood, and it was going to cost the total of about $5 million. And all they had at that time was about $50,000. And there are a couple of folks in this room um, who remember this moment in Christ Community's history who were there. Um, at the same time... Um, the need arose with a partnering church in Romania who said, hey, if we just had $50,000, we could finish all of our facility needs um, here in Romania. And so you have this $5 million building project that's there on the horizon, this church in Romania who says, what you have is exactly what we need to finish what we're doing. And then all the while, where they were meeting at Overland Trail, a particular school down in Overland Park, uh, was saying, hey, you can't meet here for too much longer. <laughs> So felt the pressure of they've got to find something and they've got to start something soon or they're not going to have a place to meet. So you have this mixture of things. Well, in the midst of all that, what do they do? With well, the elders, they pray together and they decide we're going to give this $50,000 to the church in Romania. And Tom telling this story says, we had no idea what was coming down the pike. We just knew that God was calling us to give this money away. Um, so he preaches a sermon, you know, on Sunday morning and says, I know we've got this need. <laughs> I know we may not know where we're going to be meeting, but we feel like God's calling us to this. And so we're going to be giving this 50000 to the church in Romania. That afternoon, you just, you can't write stories like this. God has to write stories like this. That afternoon, Tom goes home and he gets a call that someone who doesn't even attend Christ's community was going to donate $500,000. That afternoon, after they'd made the decision to step out and to say, we know all of these factors combined, but we feel like God's calling us to do this. We know this is a big step of faith and we're giving ourselves away, but this is what we think is God is calling. And somebody wrote a check for $500,000, which was the catapult to start building the facility they needed to continue to do the mission that we believe God has called us to do. In 2000, during the... Uh, the tech bubble, some of you remember that, or Y2K when we thought the world was going to come to an end. <laughs> we don't know. Our computers have never went a full rotation. Um, get your Burger King. Uh, no, uh, at least that's what I thought. Get my last, you know, Whopper. Um, I was young. We thought, <laughs> and not very healthy, we thought the world, we thought the world was going to end. And, <clears throat> and our original campus in Leewood was completed. And, and you, this blew, this blew us, well, I wasn't there at the time, but it blew everyone away because that $5 million project, they moved in debt-free with a surplus of $500,000 to 
to start what's called Awesome Kids Preschool, which has been an extraordinary outreach to families in the neighborhood who don't engage the church, to help engage their children and to let them know about the gospel and also prepare them for kindergarten readiness. Um, it's a brilliant institute. I mean, what an amazing story of God's provision. In 2006, we were beginning to explore um, this multi-site idea. Like, what on earth is that? Um, and what that could look like for us. And we were asking the question, is this what God has for our multiplying mission? And as we were praying and processing, there was a church in Olathe who felt like who they used to be and who the community is becoming, there was a major disconnect. And so they wanted to give their facility to facilitate someone who they thought would better connect with the people who were moving in and the people who were making up that community. So they gave it to the EFCA and the EFCA said, hey, we heard you're having these conversations about multi-site. Here you go. And so they gave us this facility in Olathe, which spurred us on to begin multi-site. What an amazing gift to start us in the right direction. In 2011, I was finally here, and I remember um, sitting in on an elders meeting. I was a resident at the time, so my job was to look and listen. Um, if you know Arrested Development, to neither be seen nor heard. Uh, <clears throat> and, I just remember sitting there and thinking, you know, oh, what's elder meetings like? It was literally my first elders meeting, okay? I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, what is church like? I just graduated seminary, trying to figure this pastor thing out. And the elder chair at the time said, well, we just had news that there's a congregant who's willing to give $3 million to purchase a building in Brookside and have, you know, give six to eight months of operating costs to get this new plant off the ground because we believe there needs to be a church in that neighborhood is faithfully proclaiming the gospel. I was like, oh my goodness, you know, sitting there and I remember walking out asking Tom, like, elder meetings are amazing. <laughs> is that what they're always like? And he goes, no, no, that's, that's not what they're like uh, all the time. Um, this is something really unique and something really huge. Um, and then in 2016, we were given two more gifts, um, a million-dollar gift and a two-million-dollar gift to catapult our multiplying mission. These were able to le we were able to leverage for our Reach KC initiative. Our Olathe campus was exploding. As you remember, we were given that initial building, and so it was exploding. And so we were able to leverage that to build a new gathering space and to overhaul the current space to facilitate their growth. And $1 million earmarked for uh, Shawnee Mission land or some sort of facility opportunity there. Simultaneously, we launched Made to Flourish, a pastor's network. Um, I, I'm a city director, so I help, these, help pastors connect faith, work, and economics for the common good of our city. And right now, it's operating in 24 cities with 2,600 pastors who are involved with an annual budget of $3.5 million dollars. And today, when we think about the Reach KC initiative that had a $7 million goal and a $1 million, uh, $7 million for Olathe and $1 million for Shawnee Mission, out of the $7 million needed for Olathe, there's only $1.3 million left in debt. And we believe that out of the Reach KC uh, commitments by the end of this year will be under $1 million in debt after all of that work out in Olathe. And then, of course, when I think about our community here and I think about the bold faith. I mean, I was recounting with staff on Tuesday about how everything for this little 20-some folks was in my car. You know, some people have the Ebenezer of these big things. I have like a little scratch in my car door where the speaker, you know, bar fell. And I opened my door and I go, I remember when that speaker bar cut my door. Um, 
my Ebenezer uh, to remember. Um, and there was 20 some of us and we were in a social room and then we were in a movie theater and the bold faith and a matching gift that made this space possible for us to lease and to make it leasable and practical for our use. And there's so many who said, yeah, it looks and smells and feels kind of like a cult, but I'm going to commit. We're not a cult if you're new. Um, (laughs) But at that size and that shape and that fragility, you're taking a lot of risk. And the bigger we get, the more comfortable it is for new people to engage. And we're so grateful. It always feels risky. But those early days, it felt like a big risk. And so I say thank you for your bold faith. So many of you, the everyday in and out faith that has led to stories of untold transformation. I think of, you know, the jaunties. You know, even as you were saying in your membership moment, you'd been praying for a church to be a faithful presence here in downtown with tears coming down your face. You said, we're just so happy to be here. I can tell you story after story of how God has worked in really unique ways for personal transformation, for city impact, and cultural renewal, conversations with artists because of the, so, the, the day in, day out work around the gallery, whether it would be Tyler or Leanne or Chelsea or others that just give so much, so much bold faith. God's been working, folks. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Faith is incremental, to be sure, but sometimes there are those moments where it just feels way beyond us and it's going to take some serious, bold faith, not blind faith, do our due diligence, but bold faith nonetheless. And to be clear, I want to be clear, I just hear the questions coming and I want you to know that I know that we're not the Israelites, (laughs) that these buildings are not our quote-unquote promised land, but what we can learn, what Paul reminds us to learn in 1 Corinthians, what the author of Hebrews reminds us is to look back at what God has done through his people and to learn their faith, to imitate moments of faithfulness and beware of moments of failure. Now, Israel here's the twist, didn't move forward. They sent in the spies and they said it was too big for us and it led to disaster. More on that next week. Um, (laughs) But as for us, sometimes you learn from mistakes. You don't want to be the next Titanic, but you know, sometimes you learn from mistakes and sometimes you learn from accomplishment. As for us, we want to move forward. We recognize we can't do this on our own. Listen, we're not smart enough. I'm definitely not smart enough. Tyler may be, but I'm definitely not smart enough. We're not rich enough. We're not skilled enough to be able to do this or to have five campuses across the city and what God is doing through his people and how those facilities are facilitating that contextual mission to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and our world for Jesus Christ across generations. This has been the Lord's doing, and we... We are in marvel. We, we, it is just unbelievable that we get to be a part of this. And it's a good reminder that we were never meant to live within the puny confines of our human resources. But God often calls us to big moments to showcase, him, showcase himself and to make much of himself so that people might look on and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. So, okay, I know some of you have been wondering, what's the address, Gabe? And I had somebody really thoughtful say, don't give it at the beginning or they're just going to be on Google uh, (laughs) during the whole sermon. Um, So I tried to care for you by holding it (laughs) till now. So where's the building? Um, It is a 20,000 square foot space at 208 West 19th Street. So two blocks south and two blocks west. 
We believe it will equip us for generations to come to minister effectively in the heart of our city long after you and I are gone. For the people we haven't even met yet, for the work that God's going to do in the next generation, it's strategically positioned with our emphasis in the arts and our care and commitment to the crossroads in downtown broadly. It's competitively priced um, for purchase, which is something we're pursuing is purchase um, so that the mortgage will end and it'll become an asset for us. And as far as we currently know, would need only minimal initial alterations for our purposes, which is a miracle, friends. <laughs> I have looked at so many spaces. When we looked first for this space, I never thought this kind of space would be available to us. This is a work of God. And if God wants us to have this space at West 19th Street, nothing will stop us. I'm convinced of that. And if it's not that space, God hasn't failed us. All that means is that God has something better in store for us. Like I said, we're very early in the conversation, so I'm excited but cautious, but we couldn't hold this back. We wanted to be in this journey together. Um, and why do I think that if it's not West 19th Street, then it's something better? Because bold faith sees today's obstacles in the light of God's previous work. And we have, in fact, seen him work. So I don't know how it's all going to play out, but one thing I do know, one thing that we know is that we're taking the step forward and exploring purchase. We've already put in our letter of intent and made an offer, just to be aware. It's all pending congregational approval because we're in this together, and facilities and business owners are aware of that. Um, we as a pastoral staff and elders are willing, if things do progress, to make the purchase available, and we hope to have the congregational meeting to vote together in December with a lot of space for conversation until then, if it continues to progress. But we need to know if it's a viable option, and to do that, we have to begin the conversation now, all pending, of course, our agreement together. But until then, what do we do? Well, I'm asking you to pray, and this isn't anything new, but to pray bold prayers now with a specific space in mind. To pray bold prayers for guidance, for open doors, for favor, for miracles. Honestly, it's already, like I said, a miracle that this space is available. It's, and for the price, I won't go into detail, but it is like, it's a wow moment. Um, but alongside of prayer, I'm also firmly convinced we have a lot of work to do, each and every one of us. Work that's bigger than a building, because the goal isn't to get into a building, because once we get there, if that's the goal, look out. You know, that's, that is not the goal. This is a means to an end. The goal is God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven through the person and work of Jesus Christ through and made available through his church. And that means bold faith for each and every one of us where we are. So during this next, this next week, okay, here's what I, I want to ask each and every one of us to do. I want you to take some time to remember God's work in your life. Remember God's work in your life personally. Traverse your own faith topography. Remember how God has worked before. Don't be like the Israelites who forget the great deliverance that has come from our sin and our brokenness, from Egypt and all the amazing work that God has done to have you sit in this space right here today to know and to have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't forget. Remember your story. Traverse your own faith topography. And then ask, where do you need to step out in bold faith personally? Maybe it's a relationship that needs to end. 
Maybe it's a relationship that needs to be reconciled, where you need to extend forgiveness. Maybe it's bold faith in your marriage or a friendship or an entrepreneurial venture. Maybe it's taking steps to admit you're addicted, whatever that might be, and to reach out for help. Maybe, just maybe, that bold step is to trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and you've been on the fence for a while. Where do you need to take a step of bold faith? Where is God calling you to step out with your eyes wide open? Because listen, if we aren't asking those questions of ourselves, if we aren't stepping out in bold faith individually, there's no way we're going to step out together. This is, this is an outworking of our lives individually. And hopefully, when we step out collectively, it'll spur us on individually. It's much more dynamic in that regard. And listen, you won't know what God can do in you until you really let him work through you in the ways that he's calling you to. And don't you want this to be a part of your story? Don't you want to look back with the new people you don't even know yet who hear the gospel for the first time, who find a community to connect with other followers of Jesus or a place that has Christ-fueled relief going out that's impacting the fabric of our city? Do you want to look back and be able to remember how God was working in and through you to impact his church for Kansas City? To have a space that is a catalyst for our bold faith work in the everyday. It's not about buildings and it's not about money, but those are catalysts to the work of ministry for generations to come. So what does it look like for you to remember? What does it look like for you to take a step of bold faith personally? And why don't we step out together with excitement, caution, knowing that God's faithfulness is sure, whatever the path, the path might be, all right? And over the next two weeks, we're going to continue to explore and learn how to do this together. But in light of all that, let's, let's pray. <laughs> this is big, right? Let's pray. God, thanks for this morning. Um, there are so many ways, and I, even as I was just perusing my own prayer journal this week, um, so many ways over the past year, over the past eight years, in this little downtown campus, and across Christ's community over the past 30 years where you've been setting the stage. And God, more than anything, I pray that our faith would be bolstered. More than anything, I pray that we would be growing in our faith and our trust in you. More than anything, I pray that this process would be an opportunity to know you better, whatever the outcome may be. And that we would be a catalyst for your good work in the world through all the places you have us and in the unique way you have us when we convene together in the name of Jesus for dynamic work across the city. God, your spirit is working, has been working, and you already know what is to come. May we have the bold faith to step out with you when we look back over what you've already done in the past. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.